From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 217 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story, in the U.S., it's up to individual states to develop plans for distributing a vaccine once one is available. But now they face intense time pressure to develop their strategies. And they're flying blind without necessary information about the type and timing of the vaccines they'll be offering. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Stephen Hahn said that the recent pauses in several clinical trials are a necessary step to making sure any COVID-19 vaccine or therapy will be safe. In an interview with Bloomberg Today, Hahn said that recent stops to clinical studies of vaccines and antibody treatments by Johnson & Johnson, Eli Lilly, and AstraZeneca are normal. The system, he said, is designed this way to identify safety issues and protect participants, but also to find the right treatments and vaccines in the end. A surge in coronavirus infections in the U.S. is threatening the very survival of hospitals just when the country needs them most. Hundreds of facilities were already on shaky financial ground before the virus, and the impact of caring for COVID patients has put hundreds more in jeopardy. The pandemic sidelined profitable elective procedures and pushed up costs to keep patients and staff safe. Meanwhile, hospitals are losing the privately insured patients they depend on as millions of Americans lose their jobs and their employer-sponsored coverage. The American Hospital Association estimates the pandemic will cost U.S. hospitals more than $323 billion by the end of the year. The industry group is asking Congress for an additional $100 billion and full forgiveness of loans made under Medicare's Accelerated Payment Program, among other requests for relief. Finally, Iran announced a travel ban to and from five major cities, including the capital, Tehran, over an extended holiday weekend as part of measures to curb COVID spread. The restriction comes into effect tomorrow, amid a record spike in the country's coronavirus fatalities and rising new cases. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, 
the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. And now for today's main story. States are racing the clock to meet a Friday deadline. That's when the federal government says they must submit their plans to distribute a vaccine once an effective one is ready. But Angelica Levita reports that they're putting together their strategies effectively blindfolded. State health officials have no clue which vaccine they will be distributing, nor when or even if a vaccine will be forthcoming. I talked to Angelica today about the problems with this state-by-state strategy. In terms of getting the U.S. ready for a COVID-19 vaccine, what's the significance of this Friday, October 16th? The states are required to submit their plans to the CDC detailing how they plan to distribute and administer COVID-19 vaccines. And so these plans are outlines because obviously right now it's hard to give exact specifics on how you'll distribute a vaccine that you don't know what the storage requirements will be, when it will be here, how much of it you'll have. So the CDC gave states a playbook to use to help prepare these plans. And so the states will use those use that playbook to compile their rough plans and share those with the CDC. Now, this this might sound a bit obvious, but how exactly can states plan for a vaccine that doesn't exist yet? That's not at all obvious. This is a big question that states and other experts that I've spoken to talk about. And States have done this before. They help vaccinate people every single year for flu shots. They've been involved with the H1N1 pandemic. So this is not new to them. So they know how to run mass vaccination. However, this one, of course, is different because the scale will be much larger. And like you said, we don't know which vaccines, if any, will be approved when and what the requirements will be. So they're using their previous experiences and taking the mass vaccination plans that they already have, refreshing them and planning really scenarios. So in some of the plans, um, they'll talk about if this happens, we will do this. And here is what we're thinking now. This is to be determined. So these are really blueprints, we can call them. They have a lot of details based on their previous experience and what we know some of the vaccine candidates look like, but there are still TBDs that they need to figure out. And and you mentioned this CDC playbook. Are there any hard and fast requirements that is in this playbook that all the states have to adhere to? So the states are using the information that was provided in the playbook to form their proposals here, their plans. And 
So there are some things that they will have to do. So for example, there are reporting requirements that say, you know, that dictate how often they need to be communicating with the CDC to make sure that all of the states are sharing their information about how many people are getting vaccinated, who's getting vaccinated with what, how many supplies they have. So those are some of the requirements that all of the states are really required to do. However, the other things are more of guidelines about, um, and that's where things can get tricky. So based on what we know now, there will be different priority groups. So essential workers, healthcare workers, and the CDC recommends that the states figure out how many of these populations are in their states. But that can obviously vary based on what types of healthcare workers you're talking about. How do you define essential workers? You know, a essential worker might be different in New York City versus Arkansas, as um, one person told me. So these are some of the, the variations that they are working through. So it sounds like there might be 50 potential different plans in terms of distribution and priorities. That sounds like it might create serious issues. I was just wondering maybe if you could unpack a little bit what might be some problems that arise in terms of how one state's plan might differ from another state's plan? Right. And that's a really good question. And one person I talked to had mentioned that the issue here that states are facing right now is that it's really a top-down approach where the federal government is saying, here are the requirements we need from you, when really it should be a bottom-up approach, if that makes sense. So this is obviously a local effort. Um, And so there should be some variation here because priorities in one state might be different than in other states. So that's natural. However, the CDC and Operation Warp Speed are asking for all these answers to these questions that might really vary state by state. Naturally, there will be some differences here. Um, But then one of the big questions about the differences in the plans are with data, because all of these states already have their own data reporting systems to track vaccines. And the CDC is offering its own version for them to use in in hopes of creating more of a federal database. But some states don't want to use that. They say, we have our own. It's hard enough to get providers to enroll in that. We're just getting them comfortable with reporting um, into this new system. We're not adding another system. So we're already seeing some of this tension between the state and federal effort. And then, of course, that creates differences among all of the different states and how exactly they'll do this. There does seem to be a natural tension there that states might report a higher population of you know, frontline healthcare workers than another state and receive then more vaccine than another state. Are are we looking at that kind of potential situation where states might have to justify receiving more amounts of the vaccine before another state? So the state officials I spoke to said that they are not yet sure how the allocation, meaning how many doses they'll receive, will be determined. In the past, for H1N1, for example, it was equal. Every state got the same amount, uh, at least at first. And there's questions of whether it'll be different this time, especially because they are required to estimate the sizes of those different populations that you mentioned, the essential workers, healthcare workers, So there is an open question of how much they'll receive. And that's why I think now the CDC is asking, 
hey, can you please estimate these different populations? And can you give us can you give us an idea of how many of these people are in your state and how that information will be used? We're not really sure yet, at least from what I've heard. Just looking at one other potential logistical hurdle, it seems that most of the vaccines in development currently are are two-shot vaccines requiring two doses, essentially. That would seem to add additional logistical hurdles in terms of getting both shots. There is a lot of discussion about that hurdle because I think the idea is that at the beginning, it might be easier if you have, if you're vaccinating healthcare workers, let's say I'm a hospital, I call in all of my emergency room staff, let's say, hypothetical, and then I know who they are, they work for me, I can track them, tell them to come back. So I think at the beginning, it might be a little bit easier, but there are real questions of what happens once you start broadening the scope of this. Um, And so people are thinking a lot about that. How do you make sure that you prompt people to come back? And you track which vaccine they received, because that's another important factor here is we don't know how these vaccines will work when they're used together. We know, you know, of course, the manufacturers are studying how their vaccine performs when you get multiple doses, but they're not studying how getting their dose for the first shot and then another vaccine for your second dose, how that will perform. So that's another big issue here that people are talking a lot about. And finally, so this Friday is only a few days away. The states will submit their plans. What happens next? So the people I spoke to from the different states say that they assume, this is a big assumption, that these plans will really be drafts because the idea was that these states were supposed to submit their plans early in the event that we had a vaccine available in early November, which based on the new guidelines from the FDA is all but certain that will not happen. So now I think people are breathing a little bit easier, thinking they have more time to refine these plans as they answer the outstanding questions. So the idea, at least among the states, is that they will have time to take a breath, review the plans and see how they need to refine them from here. That was Angelica Levito. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspore, Magnus Henriksen, and me. Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Angelica Levito. Original music by Leo Sidrin. Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. has begun from May 14th to 16th 
a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.